When you do things like we did and do the t-shirts, there's always, uh, always, you know, you're always taking a risk. When they came to me, the creative team had said, we'd like to do this. I said, have you lost your ever-loving mind? I mean, we're coming to church, et cetera. And so, but it was fun, and we're glad to do it, and we prepared you for it. A little unorthodox. If you did not get a t-shirt, you're welcome to go buy one somewhere, and uh, that'll take care of that. But I just received a text from someone that said, have you thought about serving communion with the deals as you shoot the t-shirts? But that, no, we have not. That will not happen, okay? That is sacred. Um, but... <laughs> Anyway, how many is already, you've already celebrated Father's Day? May I see your hand? It's good. How many have not celebrated Father's Day? All right. How many, you don't give two liver lips. You ain't doing nothing. You know, that's yard talk. There you go. Just a few. How many plan to barbecue? It's good. It's good. Thank you. Way back there in the back row. Save some. Okay. Thank you. Uh, less uh, Father's Day message. Um, Here's a scripture that says, fathers, uh, take a look at it, see what you think. Let's read it together on three. One, two, three. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction, okay? Just don't make them mad all the time. Just jerk them around. But bring them up in the training of the Lord. Here's, here's another one. It's out of the Living Bible. And uh, it says, let's read it on three. One, two, three. Don't keep on scolding and nagging your children. Make them angry and resentful. Rather, bring them up with the loving discipline. So I see, how many see the word discipline there? It's good. The word discipline is there. You see, one of the greatest opportunities that you have, you men, uh, and we celebrate all men today, not, not just fathers, uh, et cetera. We want you to know that we appreciate you very, very much, is to invest in your kids. And that takes en uh, energy, that takes action, that takes focus, and that takes time. If you're going to do that, you have to have engagement with the children, and you have to have discernment. Parents do have eyes in the back of their heads. Just want to let all the young people know that. And you also have to learn to quickly resolve conflict. Quickly resolve conflict. And you also have to let your kids know if you're going to discipline them and raise them up, you need to let them know that there are consequences to poor behavior. Don't be the kind of dad that keeps promising what you're going to do and the kid keeps doing the wrong, and you don't follow through. Y'all with me? Come on now. Somebody help me say amen out there. If you promise it, if you promise, if you do that again, this is what's going to happen to you. Now, there are some kids who will test the water. How many of you know a kid like that? It's good. You do. So don't promise it because the first time you promise what you're going to do and they violate it and you don't do it, you have lost leverage and you have lost the respect of your own child toward that you mean what you say when you say it. 
All right? I'm going to give you an example of that in a moment. Uh, effective dads love, but raising kids is not all about love. I love you, dude. I love you, baby. You daddy's girl. I love you. It's about discipline. It's about saying, here's the boundary. You know, I love you, but that doesn't mean I'm giving you a free ticket to do whatever it is that you want to, to act and behave any way that you want to. And listen, dads, I'm talking to dads now. Don't let one of your kids misbehave so badly without repercussion that it ruins the rest of the family. Y'all going to say amen or not? Don't let it run. The, I'm, I'm going to give you the experience of all the years of counseling, and I've seen it over and over and over again. Mark Twain said, hey, when I was a boy, 14 years of age, this is what he said. He said, my old man was ignorant, and I could hardly stand to be around him. He said, but when I came, became 21, he said, I was surprised how much my dad learned in seven short years. It was amazing, a totally different. Here's some things that dads often say. It says, this, get this. I don't know, if this, if your dad ever said this, raise your hand. This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. My Lord of mercy. Here's another one. If your dad said this, giving you money, bring back the change. <laughs> some men say that to their spouses. <laughs> you know? How, 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 how about this one? Raise your hand. How should I know? Ask your mother. Here's another. Raise your hands. Don't put your feet on that furniture. Your mother will kill you. And here's the last one. Just come on now. So be, be steady here. I was not asleep. I was just resting my eyes. Oh, my Lord, have mercy. Unbelievable. Now, now settle in with me, and I want you to wrap your mind around this. Uh, 68 million of our nations, 68 million of our nations, 94 million plus men. 68 million of the 94 million don't attend any church. Despite that 86% of that 94 million grew up in some church or another. They were raised in church, but now do not go. And so research says, okay, if you've got a kid that decides, I want to go to church, mom and dad says, hey, we don't go, but go ahead. Somebody comes around, I'll pick him up, take him to church, he's in Rangers. It says if that kid's going to church, there is a 3.5% of the probability that the rest of family will go to church. 3.5%, that's pretty low. But if mama decides to go to church, the percentage jumps up. If mama said, I'm going to church, there is a 17% that the rest of the family will go to church. But if dad, this is the influence you have as a male and as a dad, but if the father is the first in home to accept Jesus Christ, here's what we find out. There is a 93% probability the rest of the family will go to church. What does that say to you, Dad? 
What does that say to the male in the families? It says, hey, mom could muster 17% of them, but dad, you hold. Why is that? Because you are, sir, according to this book, the spiritual umbrella with spiritual authority, whether you assume it or not, whether you like it or not, you are the umbrella for the future spirituality of your family. And if you negate that responsibility, if you negate that responsibility, how sad is that for the children that you are raising? We know it's an exciting day. Proverbs 10 verse 1 says, wise children bring joy to their fathers. Families are different today. Some of you might remember when, okay, uh, this might have been in the industrial age uh, and a little after that, but dad was the only one that worked outside of the home. You know, it's like, any of you remember Leave It to Beaver or whatever the case? I mean, the dad worked outside, six of you, dates a lot of us. <laughs> but uh, in fact, dad worked outside the home. Mama had her apron on and she had dinner ready when dad came in, a little huggy kiss thing and kids are all shined up, you know, and we sat down at dinner at about the same time every day and mom does all that work and dad, he, he brings the bacon in and she fries it. But things have changed. And families were larger. Families were like four to eight kids plus. How many of you come from a family that had, they're counting you would be at least four or more? May I see your hand? Good Lord, y'all been busy. Or somebody's been busy. So bigger then. Uh, today, the average is just about uh, 2.1. I don't know what happened to the 1.1, but anyway. Uh, and both parents work outside the home, the majority. Dad and mom work outside the home, two kids, okay, and they bring two incomes in. Uh, houses are bigger today, uh, and we want to buy all the comforts that we can buy. We buy ourselves toys. I mean, uh, we buy ourselves and our kids. I heard a man say, I, will, I want my kids to have more than I had. Well, wh how did you get warped? Because you didn't have, I mean, the, the point is, I want my kids to have more. That's understandable. But here's the challenge. We give our kids in the American culture all the things to play with, to be pleasured with, but we don't give them a solid foundation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's the culture in which we live in. So we're busy, 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 busy. We work, of course, and get the job done. We bring the money home. We expand our space. We have all kind of toys, and we miss it. And families today are minimal in that. But here's the deal. Today, more and more young dads are engaging in their children's lives. Young dads are engaged. In other words, uh, I see them even here at the church. Many are engaged in some sports project or in, in rangers or in some part of the church. And I see young dads uh, are engaged in their kid's life. And that's, that's important. Dads ought to be engaged in their lives. I see them engaged in helping their children academically. Uh, and here at Vic, there are a plethora of dads who do that. A father and son, they went on a fishing trip. I love this illustration. And uh, boy, the, the boy was super excited. Um, and so uh, he took his kid on a fishing trip. 
And uh, with a yacht back, the next day, one of his friends, the dad's friend, said, how'd your fishing trip go yesterday with your boy? He said, it was the most miserable day of my life. Well, what do you mean by that, man? He said, well, number one, we we got the boat and got it ready, and the battery was dead on it. And then number two, it coughed a lot, so I had to to get new fuel in it. And then we finally got to the lake. We were late, and all the best fishing holes, they were taken up. And we buzzed around and got in the weeds, and the motor got in the weeds, and mosquitoes galore. He said it was just a miserable, miserable experience. The bait that I was using, they were biting on some other bait. We didn't catch one single fish. Stayed out there. The sun was hot. Got in yesterday. Got started out at six o'clock in the morning. Got home at about three in the most miserable day. Well, that man who asked me the question had a son, and that son asked the little boy who went out with his father, hey, how did your fishing trip go with your dad yesterday? And the kid said, it was the best day of my life. It was the best day of my life. We didn't catch anything, but I got to spend all day long with my daddy. Listen carefully. Kids will raise themselves. A plethora of kids in our culture today are raising themselves with the absence of of both parents or the absence of a parent. More than 1,000 kids in this county go to school from a homeless shelter. They are homeless. Kids will raise themselves. But isn't it important that parents, instead of kids raising parents, that parents ought to be raising kids? Don't you think that's God's way? If you believe it, say amen. Parents shouldn't have to parent their parents. Parents ought to be parenting their children. But somewhere along the line, we've got off track in the culture in which we live today. How bad is that? David was off track. This is David, Big Daddy David. The kid who was the shepherd boy, the kid who slew Goliath, the kid who was the king, the kid, of course, who danced for God, the kid who wrote many of the Psalms, the kid who wrote music, the kid who played the harp, the kid who grew up, of course, to be be an adult. But he had a great glaring weakness of which we are going to discover today in 2 Samuel chapters 13 through 19. David was an absolute failure as a father absolute failure as a father. And if you notice, he had several wives. I mean, he had several wives. How many of you know, please tell me, that you think one wife is enough? Let me ask you again, because some of you didn't raise your hand. Apparently, you think you need more than one. I'm going to ask it again. How many of you think one wife is enough at a time? Well, we're going to have a big altar service this morning. (laughs) But David had many wives. David had a whole lot of children. All of them were camped out there at the palace. David was sitting on the throne. He ruled and he reigned. Wow, 
but he had a lack of involvement in the life of his kids. Oh, he loved enjoying his wives, and he loved, oh, there's another little one. What, what are we going to name that one there? You know, let's name that one Tamar. Oh, there's one. Let's name him Absalom. Oh, there's another Amnon. Oh, my gracious, alive. And they named them, but the problem was because of the absence of David, which is according to the Word of God, David's absence, oh, he sang, oh, he danced, oh, he could play the heart, oh, he could do a hallelujah, hallelujah, and never taking care of his kids, never paying attention to them. So, when you fail to do what God's dedicated will is to do in any area of your life, Satan will always find an alternative and offer a fake in the place of the real thing. And so David overlooked it. So Amnon, which had a half-sister, her name is Tamar. Amnon was in love with Tamar. Oh, my Lord, he was stricken. He was eat up with it, hook, line, and sinker. So he got, he thought, how, how can I? And he tried to make passes at her. She said, get away from me, Amnon. Get away from me. I'm your half-sister. I don't care, but I, we are, I'm, I'm deeply in love with you. So what did he do? He's creative. He faked sickness unto death. He had his quarters, sickness unto death. Finally, one of the advisors to David said, you got one of your sons, Amnon. He's over in his part of the palace. He's sick unto death. David, if you want to see him alive, you better get off the throne and go see him. David said, oh, really? What did you say his name was? Amnon. Oh, Amnon. Yeah, Amnon. Don't you remember him? Well, you know. So David went to see him. Amnon, when David came in, <laughs> hi, Dad, son. You're not feeling well. No, Dad, I'm dying. But there's one thing that might help me, Dad. I believe if you sent Tamar here to my quarters, and for her to come in and dance for me and fix me a meal and bring her into my private bed chambers, she could serve me and feed me. And I believe I could <laughs> I think I, I could survive this. How could any person in their right mind not read between the lines? Amen? How many of you, come on now, this is, we got into the exercise. How many of you have ever snooked your parents? You snookered them. I mean, they didn't. Come on now, help me out. How many of you snookered your parents? How many, how many have you believed now that your kid snooked you sometime or another? Grant, I don't see your hand going up over there, son. Snooked. I think every kid worth their salt in some way or another snooked mom and dad. And that's what he was doing. He snooked David the king. You know what? David wasn't, 
involved in what he was going on. He didn't know that he might be a member of the golf team. He didn't know that he played baseball. He didn't know that he played soccer. He didn't even know who his favorite college team was. David was too busy being the king. It's kind of like the young man. He's, of course, in high school, and it's 9 o'clock at night. He's been holed up in his room. He's on his cell phone. Dad's down there channel surfing. It's, uh, it's 9 o'clock at night, and the kid goes down. Hey, Dad, how you doing, man? He said, uh, well, I'm good, boy. How you doing? How you doing? It's good to see you. Have a good day. Yeah. Hey, Dad, I'm going down to the library. I need to go to the library. Well, son, okay. What time is it? I don't know. Not 9 o'clock, I think, Dad, but I, I got some studying to do. Well, son, I'm glad you're studying. Go ahead and go. He goes to the door. He said, oh, by the way, Dad, he said, I, I'm going to go out with some of my buddies after I get through with the library, and I'm probably going to spend the night at their house. Well, son, okay. You you have a good evening. That's, that's really good. Okay, Dad, love you, man. God bless. Bye. What library do you know is open on a high school campus at 9 o'clock at night? Hello? Maybe on a college campus because you got to study, but the reality on a high school campus and it's not testing time, that man was not involved in that young man's life. He said, okay. David said, well, listen, Am- uh, what did you say your name was? Amnon, Dad. I'm going to send, what, who did you say she was? Tamar, I'm gonna, I'll send her an order to come down here and see you. And he did. She went in there and Amnon violated her severely. That The Bible says she was so hurt because of forced intimacy that she was considered for a period of time a desolate woman who wanted to die. Well, that's sorry, no good for nothing, Amnon. No, leave him alone. That's sorry, no good for nothing, Dad, who is not in touch with his kids. They move on. Tamar had a brother. You know what his name was? Absalom. The problem is you might think, okay, David, what are you going to do? The whole palace, the security team was waiting. What's David going to do to Amnon? I mean, the other children are thinking, what's, what's dad going to do to Amnon? The palace guard were thinking, what, what's David going to do with Amnon? And do you know what? David did nothing because he was busy. He did nothing. But Absalom held his sister Tamar as she wept. And when David was afraid or, or just chose to do nothing, Absalom said, you don't have to worry. I'll get even here. You see, listen, dads, uh, don't be a passive dad. Be a passionate dad. 
but don't be passive. Understand that when a violation takes place and a behavior that upsets the family, deal with that. Be sure that that is confronted, but in, in love. I, I, I have some star parents in this room. I've seen dads who manage this. I've seen single moms manage this with and say, hey, discipline is important. Not disciplining is not a show of love, my friend. When you fail to discipline, then you show a lack of understanding and love. And listen, my gracious alive, help me out now. You don't have to be liked by your kids all the time. Well, I think my kids like me. <laughs> there are times when you're bringing discipline to their life that they're not going to cuddle up to you. See, I just thank you for, for disciplining me. Most all children that I meet in the hallways around here, they're polite and nice. I love the little ones and shake hands or give them a hug, etc. I see the young dads who are taking their place in the home and they're working but they understand hey mom needs help we got to raise these kids together it took two of us to get them here it's going to take two of us to raise and my head is off to those individuals and so in fact what happened is Absalom took it on himself because years passed and nothing had happened and Absalom said to Tamar, I'll take care of Amnon. He sent two guys out and killed Amnon. When he did, he took off. When he realized what he had, decision he had made, he left. And he was gone. Very seldom would David even know that he's gone, but everybody else did. And he was gone for three solid years. David did not know what was going on. Finally, Absalom had one of the advisors. The advisors went to David, you need to talk to your son. Absalom sent somebody out to burn the advisor's field, one of them. Why did you do that to my field? Because you're an advisor of my father, and I don't have access to him, but you do. I will burn every field you have day after day until you go to my father and tell him we must talk. Why? Because Absalom was boiling over with vengeance and anger. David said, go get him, pack him up, bring him here to the palace, bring his family in here. I'll sit down, I'll talk with him. We'll get this thing straightened out. So the advisor did. He went back to David several months later, said he's in and he's there and he's waiting for you to talk. I told him you were going to have dinner with him. David sat on his bedside in his quarters waiting for his dad to come. He did not come. He waited a day. He waited a week. He waited two weeks. He waited two years. The advisor said, it's been two years. 
David and Absalom met. And they talked. But by that time, by that time, anger and resentment had built up. You see, listen carefully. It takes time to distance yourself in a relationship, and it takes time to rebuild a relationship. I'm talking about a dad everybody knows. Because they had a conversation. It did not bring the healing because that's all they had was a conversation. Nothing changed. Still no meetings, no fishing trips, no come on over for a barbecue. Still no, let's get together. Still no fellowship. Fellowship, family fellowship can resolve a lot of hurt. So what happened is Absalom is still upset and he thinks my dad is a great leader. I'm going to attack him on his leadership. And so in 2 Samuel 15, 6, it says Absalom started to steal the heart of David's trusted followers. And they began to link up with Absalom until that grew. And finally, until it grew, that Absalom began to lead a rebellion against David, and David realized it, caught him totally blindsided, and he took his family, many of them, and ran out into the wilderness. And Absalom now had his daddy's throne. He sits on the throne. Listen, the most cherished dad the most cherished throne you have is the throne God gifted you to lead your family. Not to be the CFO, the CEO, the COO, but to be the spiritual umbrella for your family. And that never changes. So Absalom is on David's throne. And Absalom thought, I like this throne. There were at least 10 of David's wives, 10 of them, that did not flee. They couldn't get together quick enough to go. So Absalom said, I'm going to embarrass my dad. He got him a tent, put it on top of the palace in the open courtyard up there, pulled the curtains up and had all ten of those wives hauled onto the courtyard and had his way with every single one of them so everybody who had a view could take a look at what Absalom was doing with his daddy's wives. Wow. Why? Because David failed to lead as a father. Because David was afraid to deal 
with the lack of discipline. David was afraid to give guidance. David was afraid to weigh in with his family. David was afraid. He did not console Tamar, his daughter. Absalom consoled her. He missed it. And he kept missing it. Finally, David decided, I'm going to take my throne back. And so he amassed an army of individuals that stood by him. And as a result of that, he was preparing to go to battle. One dad wrote, and I share it with you, I took my children to school but not to church. I taught them to drink but not that of living water. I enrolled them in Little League but not Sunday school. Showed them how to fish but not to be fishers of men. I made the Lord's Day a holiday and rather than a holy day. I taught them the church was full of hypocrites and made the greater hypocrite of them and me. I gave them the best television they could have, a flat screen, but I provided no Bible. I handed them the keys to the car, but I didn't even give them close the keys to the kingdom of God. I taught them how to make a living, but failed to bring them to Christ who can make a life. They met on the battlefield, their troops. And in one day, 20,000 soldiers died that did not have to die because a dad well-known, a hero of the faith, did not take raising his family seriously. There are several things happening in this room right now and online in the, between the ears of men. Some of you are old enough, you fit that mold. You didn't raise your kids in church. You didn't see the point, but things are different now. You're in the church, but you have adult children. They don't want any part of the church. Not that they're rebellious. They just weren't disciplined or trained the value of church or the value of loving God. What's going on in the minds of some of you said, hey, I had children. I still have children. Well, boy, I've got so many things going now that church can't be a part of our life. God can't. Hey, listen carefully. If church can't be a part of your life, then God can't. Woo, back up on that now, pastor, because this church, his church, is the bride of Christ. You cannot separate the two. They are one. They're one. The other thing that's going on in the minds of young fathers, boy, this is bigger than I thought. You're right. That's why you need God's help. That's why you need to set the priority of what it means to say, I'm going to raise my family right. And guess what? 20,000 soldiers died. It could have been avoided had David stepped in. One little daughter, daughter didn't have to go through the pain because he could not read and had no spirit of discernment. He had two sons that were bitter and did things that's incomprehensible. And so they go to war, 20,000 soldiers, and guess what? Absalom was killed in that battle. Now, David, you got your throne back. Go sit down. 20,000 of your men died. Your one daughter is marked for life. According to Scripture, she, what she went through, 
Ammon is dead and Absalom now is dead. How do you feel, Dad? You know what David said? It's found in 2 Samuel 18, 33. Absalom, my son Absalom, oh Absalom, would that I had died instead of you. Maybe you're a child and you're somebody's child, that's for sure. And you had a father that was an absent father. Forgive him, honor him, and love him. Maybe here this morning you say, my dad beat the living daylights out of me. He never even said, I love you. Grow up, forgive him, love him, honor him. Well, why should I do that? Because that's exactly what Jesus did for you or you wouldn't be redeemed. It's because God does not keep a record of wrongs. What was it? Absalom's dead. David now is on his throne. It was the lack of of attention, the lack of parroting, the lack of discipline. I watch my kids, we, Sharon and I, we have three adult children that we love. We're very proud of Sherry, our oldest, of Tim, the second oldest, and Lori, who's the baby. Sherry, a period of time in her life, she has four children. She went through a divorce 10 or 12 years ago, but she had four children and she raised those kids but the beautiful part about it, even though divorced, Michael, her husband, still was their father and fathered along with her that they produced, as far as we can tell, four wonderful children that are in church that love Jesus. And Ben, who just graduated from the collegiate program, is going to the University of Tim and Kelly, Tim and Kelly, our son, who after one service one day and doing mortgage and banking and all the other stuff, said, Dad, I belong in ministry. And we prayed. I said, that's a hard road. That's difficult. I don't know if you can get the path through it, son, but we can give it a whirl. Kelly's right there with him, stood with him. And they have... Three beautiful kids. Well, two beautiful girls and one handsome son. Taylor. Taylor who gifted us our very first grandson. Grant, who is a very proud Marine. Who is in love with Jesus. Lori, who almost died. Beautiful as she can be with her foreign husband, Wayne, from South Africa, who never had grits, biscuit, or gravy. <laughs> and two girls who love Jesus, one you saw in the video. Yesterday, as they celebrated Father's Day at Tim and Kelly's house in the Tim and Kelly estate, they have a swimming pool, and they're all in the pool they're playing volleyball on this side. Some of the guys on this side is Grant and Jackson Noble and all the women. The girls, they lost. 
I sat in the window looking at them because I, I wanted to be in there, but I'm careful about exposing my body. <laughs> and I said, this right here, I said to Tim in the green room earlier, we will never relive yesterday. But what a beautiful time it was to see the family. My friend, family is important to Jesus. Dads, you hold the key. Put your hands together and let's thank God. Amen. Would you stand? We've had fun today, but I want you to know there has to be more than fun. You've got a message that breaks your heart when you think about it. What a sad story. So if you'll bow your heads, maybe you're here this morning and you're just not right with Jesus. Maybe you're watching online and, boy, you're a father, you're a dad, and you think, boy, I missed it. Well, what do I say to those dads whose heads are bowed now who, who blew it? You didn't raise your kids. You didn't get right yourself until your kids are grown, and now they, they're not in the church. Well, let me tell you, Dad, it's never too late to start. You are still dad. You're still the grandfather. You are still breathing. It's never too late to go back and to be able to encourage your children to give their life to Jesus. It's never too late, son, daughter, to forgive your dad. Father's Day for some of you is a miserable day because you had a wretched dad, individual for a father, that may have done things to you that was never sober, etc. You're redeemed now. Be grateful that you're redeemed. Forgive them and love them and show them that love. Don't just have a conversation. Do something about it. It's not too late. And maybe you're a young father and you're thinking, man, I'm, I'm so busy, busy, busy. Understand the priority of what it means to put God first in your family. All right? And it's him first. And if you're a young person and your heart's not right, it's never too late to say today, today, I want to get things right. I want to forgive my mom and dad. I want to forgive somebody else, one of my family members. I want things to be at peace by the grace of God. Or maybe you're here and you don't even know God. You just haven't, you haven't gotten rid of the rebellion, the stubbornness, or the pride. But right now, you're going to have an opportunity to get it right. So I'm going to ask everybody to repeat this prayer with me right now. Are you ready? Here we go. Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus I, have I have sinned. I have failed. I have, failed. I have been, rebellious. been rebellious. I have been stubborn. I've been stubborn. And I've made some bad mistakes. But today, I ask for forgiveness. I want a clean slate. I want the reality of who Jesus is to reside in my heart. Forgive me. I will follow you. I will serve you. And I will stand strong in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We know God answers prayer, don't we? Let me encourage you. If you need healing, according to James 5, 14, it says right here, if any of you that are sick, any afflicted, let them call on the elders. 
He said, is any one of you sick? He'd call on the elders of the church, pray over him, and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Here's something else you might respond to if God's pulling you down here. It's this. If you've got adult children that are not right with Jesus, why don't you do this? Why don't you, in your heart of hearts, say, you know what, I'm going to walk that aisle. I'm going to walk that aisle and just come down to the altar because that's my step of faith to believe that one day all my children are the one that's not serving God, that one day they're going to kneel at an altar of repentance and they're going to come to faith. Why don't you take that step of faith right now and let that be seen before your heavenly fathers. We sing, however God directs you, you come on down. I give the benediction. Stay with us now until we give the benediction in a moment. Would you do that? I want to lift my hand.